In Luke 8, 18, our Lord says, Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to come and stand here, God, in the midst of my family, Father God, and be able to share this truth. I pray, Father God, that God, I pray for hearing. The whole sermon, God, is about hearing when you speak. Hearing when you speak through your word. Hearing when you speak to human hearts, Father God. Hearing through the testimony of song or the testimony, God, from a, from a brother or a sister, Father. I pray, Father God, that we will hear. I pray, Father God, that we'll begin by my hearing. That I won't be stubborn, Father God. That I won't be purposefully deaf, Father God. That I won't apply that, that selective hearing, Father God, to you. That when your word cries out or the Holy Spirit, Father God, when the world cries out in its agony, Father God, that I'll hear and that you will continue, God, to, to rage at me. Father God, I pray, Lord, now for your people that they will hear. It's not enough to come and sit in this room, Father God. It's not enough to come, Lord, and, and pay some kind of obedience, Father, to you. It's not enough, God. I pray, Father God, that, that this church can again become a springboard, a launching pad for extraordinary lives in Christ. I pray, Father God, that, that for both the ministries that are practiced within our walls, Father God, teaching or music or preaching, Father God, the tending of, 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 of children, Father God, which is a precious, precious thing to us. Father God, all those would be infused and empowered by your Holy Spirit, Father God. They would be done with new commitment. They'd also, Father God, be done with a, with a new uh, urgency, Father. But we don't want to stop in the walls. We don't want to stop on, on the, in this church, Father God. But we want this to go beyond. We desire, God, now that your word would be, would be real and vibrant in us. And it would just go beyond all that, Lord. God, bless us, God, with a vibrancy and a vigor that we haven't had, God. Please, I'm begging of you now, Lord. My words seem now, God, in, in retrospect, so silly and trivial. So, Father God, I pray, Lord, that you began this journey for us by giving my words your power, your clarity, Father God, so that we can all hear. And that no one in this room would be afraid to respond, Father God. Nobody. We have to die to fear today, Father God. I pray for that now, Lord. In the name of Christ, I pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, one of my favorite authors is Mark Twain, Samuel, Samuel Clemens. He's his real name. And he said this. He said, the two most important days in your life are the day that you are born and the day you find out why. Our mission today is to find out why. Your mission today is to be able to walk away from this precious place and say, God, I know why you called me out of darkness. I know what the blood means now, God. I know what's been opened up for me through the body and the sacrifice of Jesus.
The great goal of the church is to seek out the world and to take it to the take to it the singular saving message, the gospel. We have that responsibility. You understand that? We, we know, have a responsibility to the truth. And that is that now that we know it, we have to take it with us. It is portable. It is not church bound. It is not intended just for these walls and just for this pulpit and just for those pews. But it was made to start here and branch out. The world is desperate for it. Desperate for it. When we do this, we embrace God's defining plan for our lives. When we're part of that, we embrace God's plan. Scriptures reveal the monumental changes which occur in each redeemed life. Scriptures show us these things. Just what God does when He sets up, establishes Himself inside your life. And He lives in and through you. Now, of course, that gives me, always has given me cause to, uh, to think. Because my goodness, am I taking a God who dwells in me some places He does not want to go? Am I thinking and doing some things with a God who dwells within me that I have no business? Or there's no doubt. There's a call in this room today for us to, for, for lack of a better word, clean up our, our collective acts. To, to look longingly at the gospel and at the cross and what was done for us and think, am I really being loyal to the one who died for me? Or am I expecting him to die and then I live any way I want? And I've said this many times, I'll continue to say it, there is no such foolish thought in the gospel as that. There's not an, a, a, a shred of gospel truth that says that you and I can bear the blood upon our lives and do just what we want to do. That does not exist within the pages of Scripture. We are bought with a price. I want to define not just the price, but what it really means to be blood bought. I want to define that today. Paul culminates the Bible-wide communicating of individually kingdom-themed lives. Now that's the Bible. I know my words can be so obtuse sometimes. I guess it gives me the opportunity to explain myself. The Bible shares with us through its truth the reason why we devote ourselves in time to studying it. The reason why is because within its pages, it reveals to us exactly what kind of life we are expected to live. There is a, literally, an individually kingdom-themed life for you. It suits you. It's prepared for you as an individual. But yet it's all about the kingdom. It suits who you are. And who you are capable of being under the power of God. It does this. God expects it. Now, along the way, and I'm not revealing anything that I would reveal later. Along the way, we have to realize that what God naturally does is separate men and women from those things they would naturally do. 
so that they are now free to do those things that they were born again to do. There are things we naturally think and naturally desire, and God wants us to stop. Stop thinking those things and stop desiring those things. Turn our backs on things. Die to things so that we can now be free to live according to His direction. That's what He wants. He's driving a wedge between us and the way we would naturally do it. The last thing God wants you to do is, wants you to do is follow your heart. The last thing He wants you to do. He wants you to follow His directions. We will substitute the, the feelings of our heart for the express, explicit teaching of God. What is God commanding us to do? That's the greater question. He says in Galatians 2.20, he talks about this life. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. Titanic statement. I have been crucified with Christ. Christ died and I have spiritually and intellectually died alongside of Him. There were not just three crosses. There were three literal crosses and then figuratively, symbolically, there are millions of crosses there. That we've all died on to those things that would corrupt us for, uh, and, and prevent us from living kingdom lives. It is no longer I who live finish the statement, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the life of the cross is not me doing what I want to do, but Christ living in and through me. That's the life of the cross. That's the surrendered life. So as you and I start to talk about these things, we understand that we're driving ourselves toward surrendered lives. We're going hand in hand as God's people toward a surrendered life in which Jesus lives through us. No longer I get to do what I want to do. Now I have to seek out what He wants people to do. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Our faith does, just, does not just cause our salvation, but it invigorates, brings power to that life in Jesus. There's a life of faith we're trying to lead. I mean collectively, and this is, these are not idle words, and this is not sitting here today just to fill your time so you got a sermon. That's trash. It's individually for us. Do not walk away from here thinking God wants nothing from you because that's a lie from the pit of hell. God wants something from you. He doesn't care how old you are. He doesn't care how set in your ways you are. He wants it from us all. Who loved me and gave himself for me. The final motivation of this is just the fact that he just loved me. Why live for Jesus? Because he loved me. Because I've never been loved that way before. Nobody ever died for me. And this, the God-man has died. So that I don't have to live in the mire and the muck of life. But that this humble life can be exalted above all of that. You can live... A kingdom celebrated life. You can live a life in which heaven roars approval on behalf of you. Not a life destroyed by sin that you would naturally lead. But a completely different, exponentially better life. Using this verse, we can comprehend that God deals with all redeemed humanity. 
It just does. God's not leaving anybody out in this. The I is all of us. The I is we. The church. You church, God is dealing with you because He deals with redeemed humanity. Collectively, by way of the Scriptures, which means He's given one book for us all. You'll get your own. You can't rewrite it. You're not Thomas Jefferson. You can't not like parts of it. Leave it out. You get what you get. If you don't like what the Bible says, the problem is yours and not the Bible's. If you're offended by it, then you're allowing yourself to be offended by what is inerrant. What is truthful at its core. Collectively, by way of the Scriptures, and He also speaks particularly to each of us by way of call and faith. That's right. Every Christian is a called Christian. Every one of us was called out of darkness into marvelous light for a purpose that God has determined and not you. I can tell you this. And you can ask anybody who went to high school with me. I am not a preacher. I would have never chosen this. I am not suited. And God did not care. And every Sunday He forces me in the pulpit for the joys that await me there. For the joys that await me there. My insecurities are often too much for this. So whatever God's calling you to do, if it looks like it's too big or too much for you, then all I can say to you is, is with all humbleness, join the club. Because there's nobody on this earth who ever felt qualified for the call God gave them. None of you are. I'm not. So we're all called. Paul writes in Romans 12, 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than you ought to think. That's right. This call is a humbling thing. It's a humbling thing to stand up front in a pulpit and fail. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. It's a humbling thing to stand before a Sunday school class and fail Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. It's a humbling thing to go to the mission field and try to witness and fail time after time after time. Uh, we talked about Wednesday night. We've gotten so bad in the mission field that we'll count everything as a decision to make ourselves feel better. Because it's so hard to see what God does, what He's really doing there. We need encouragement, there's no doubt. Because in most enterprises, you're going to feel like an absolute failure when God sends you. We're all Jeremiah. All Jeremiah. We're all John the Baptist languishing in a prison cell of our own making. Feeling cut off from the goodness of God. But full of the power of God. We just don't realize it. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Be humble, but to think with sober judgment. Sober, serious. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. God's got a part in this. Imagine that. God has assigned to us who he wants us to be in accordance with the measure of our faith. Look, I'm, Literally. 
the sovereign God has as a function of His divine will provided meritzo. That's the Greek word, which means to distribute as properly needed. He has given you the faith that you need to do what He needs you to do. Now that would sound, that sounds funny to you. You know what some of you are thinking? That that must mean I'm not intended for very much. Because I don't have much faith. And I would say, read your Bible. Elijah didn't have any either, did he? And he cried out to God. As I recall, Elijah never tasted death. God scooped him up for purposes to be revealed later. So just because you think you have tiny faith, I'm going to tell you that mustard seeds move mountains. So don't, do not believe that you are equipped for only the smallest task because you feel like you have the smallest faith. No one feels they have enough faith to do what God calls. To divide into parts or portions, to separate and distinguish one part from another, but it's individualized. That Maritzo prepares us for what God's calling us to do. God's got a call on every life. Therefore, our conclusion must be, that must be embraced today is, first, the divine Lord of all creation directed the sacrifice of God the Son for the sins of His people in Golgotha. Never forget that. We are gathered here today because if you're a born-again believer in Christ Jesus, you can without a doubt say that Jesus on Calvary died for you. The atonement is both for humanity and particular. It's for you. He died for your sins. Not in theory, but in reality. Became guilty of what you are guilty of. To atone with God for your sins. In addition, God has formed us in the womb. From your birth, God directed your life. Formed us in the womb. Directed the paths of our lives to intersect with the truth of the gospel. You heard the gospel because of the will and mercy of God. Because there are countless people upon this globe right now who have not and will live their lives never having heard the gospel. It is a function of God's mercy, His will, and His love. His compassion for you that you heard the gospel because some live and they die and they never hear it. The gospel is a precious thing. And God has willed that you would come in contact with it. He's enabled our debauched debauched and depraved hearts to believe this message through justification. He has enabled you to hear it and believe it. Because without that, biblically speaking, you simply would never have reacted. Because along with those who have never heard it, there are countless others who will sit in the presence of it and they will never respond. They will live their lives in the shadow of the cross and go to a sinner's hell simply because they refuse to hear. It is God's mercy that enabled you to hear. He's given us the gift of faith by His grace. Fully redeemed us and restored us to fellowship by way of the propitiating sacrifice of Christ. He has enabled the sacrifice of Christ to atone with God for everything that you are guilty 
All of it's washed away, both legally and in terms of offense. Both legally and in terms of the wrath of God, you right now owe God none of that. All of that was heaped upon the shoulders of Jesus. And now honors and glorifies the triune God. How does He do this? By living vicariously through you. Jesus lives in us, not for our good, but His glory. Jesus lives in us because Jesus seeks the glory of the one God. He came for the glory of God, and now He lives in us for God's glory. He does this, though, in ways which are common. Everybody experiences it and uniquely tailored for each believer. So, so Emily's faithful walk is not the same as Mike's faithful walk. But they both bring honor and glory to God. They are for Him and not them. For His glory and not their glory. But they're very uniquely tailored to their personalities and to the preparation God is doing in their hearts. Absolutely the same, but completely different. Peter addressed this in 1 Peter 4, 10-11 when he says, As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Look, the understanding of our individual experience of salvation is that it is expressed by way of a giftedness. As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another. In salvation, you receive a gift. Not just the gift of eternal life. Not just the gift of heaven. Which is fantastic. But what you have received is a gift to apply to the kingdom of God. A giftedness, I have called it. Through His power, received from Christ, and used to responsibly serve others. So your gift is about other people and not about you. So if missions is about you, quit because it's not about you. If evangelism is about you, then quit because it's not about you. If, if serving in the nursery is, is about you, then quit. It's not, about them. it's not about you. If teaching a Sunday school class or preaching a sermon is about me or you, then it's wrong. Because it's always about God and about others. Maybe that's why when we do it right, we get so passionate about it. Because it's not an an undertaking of our selfishness. But it's an undertaking of our selflessness. Maybe why when people really, really begin to love what God is calling them to do, you can't make them stop. You know, one of the things that's always always troubled me about about guiding a church through the kingdom was this, and I've never been prepared for it, was not how quickly people can be bruised by legitimate offense. Because trust me, we're people, and we will legitimately, legitimately offend each other. 
but how often, and people have used this in relating their story to me, it's a slight. Do you understand what I mean? They don't feel offended, they feel slighted. Well, no offense, you kind of tell on yourself in that one, don't you? If something's slight, it is of little consequence, right? But how often something of little consequence can stand between us and a kingdom life? How often someone's foolishness, not animosity, so much as foolishness, can keep me or you from really living for God? I don't think it's because we're surrounded by such wicked people. Or the, or the church is so hypocritical. It's because a significant portion of people either don't know who they're supposed to be or just don't simply love who they're supposed to be. So it's easy to dissuade them. It's easy to tell them to discourage them. I'm going to tell you, when you're really driven to do what God wants you to do, you can't really hear the critics, can you? Can't hear them at all. When you don't love, when you don't love what God wants you to do, you hear every critic. Everyone. It's a blessed and fantastic truth we're going through right now which should energize us. I believe that I can say without hesitation that Christ Jesus has within the cosmic will of God prepared for us lives which can look remarkably the same and yet suit our abilities perfectly, that meet common goals, bring honor and glory to our Redeemer, and personally satisfy our most honorable ambitions. That's right. Do you understand that what God has planned today? Now listen to me, please. What God has planned today what he has planned today is going to hurt a little bit at times. But in the long run, it's going to bring you to things that you could have never imagined doing. It's going to give you a life that you could have never imagined living and to joys unimaginable. The new spirit and heart within you, the born again of Christ, restored to the image of God by saving faith, by the efforts of the Holy Spirit and washing and redeeming you, can now can complete God's command in Psalm 37, 4, which says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and it will give you the desires of your heart. Look, the goal today is for you to finally find your place in the kingdom. You know what I'm saying? Everybody, not one of us or two of us or ten of us, but every single person to be able to say with joy and confidence, I know why I'm here. I know what God wants from me. And nothing will stand in my way. We will, with such incredible energy, chase things that are meaningless. We will with such determination catch things that help us not at all. I would love to see that same ambition, that same determination, that same aggression co-opted for God so that you can live a life that means something. Do not go to glory defined by your bank account. 
Do not go to glory defined by your house. Do not go to glory defined by things that will burn up upon the Bema seat. Go there with precious jewels, with gold and silver that will conquer the fire. Don't go before a righteous God with empty hands. With nothing of importance. Feeling that we have so much. Not knowing that we have nothing. Don't do that. Find that nexus of your individual delight in God. And that's what I want to see some people today really delighted. That's His Word. It's not some kind of lingo. That's God's Word. All we got. Delight in Him. Delight in Him. We will delight in a ball game and we'll delight in a deer and we'll delight in a new car and we'll delight everything in the world. When's the last time we really delighted in God? When's the last time we came into God's presence and thought this is the only place? I don't want to come here once a week. I want to dwell in God's presence. Delighting in Him. And the desires of a heart New heart purchased for you by Christ. You have a new heart inside of you right now that was given because Christ shed precious blood for it. It's time we put that new heart to work. All this will fit our abilities to a T. It's not something alien to you. What's really going to happen is some people are going to find out not just who they were born again to be, but who they've always known they needed to be. They've always known it. They just lacked the courage to do it. As I told one of my kids years and years ago, one of the first conferences I ever had with a youth, first ones I ever had, she came to me broken and said, I think sometimes we come to people asking for advice, not because we don't know what to do, because we want them to give us the courage to do what God is telling us to do. I think to stand in this room right now and say, I don't know what God wants me to do, I think that's a cop-out for virtually everyone who says it. God's been screaming at you since the time you embraced Christ what He wants you to do. You just never had the courage to do it. Today's the day we find the courage. We summon the courage. We rely on God for the courage. Today's the day. Though it fits us to a T, it reflects the generally taught truths of the Scripture for the church. See, not on a tang tangent. It's, it's a hundred individually lived lives that all have exactly the same reasons and the same motivations and the same truths behind them. The same truth. You don't have to go very far. We stood in front of an abortion clinic yesterday. Six of us did. They make fun of us because a big old bus pulled up and six people got off. My kids laughed when they said it because it was pretty ironic. To pull up there in a 29 passenger bus with six people. Pretty ironic. And we can feel weird. It's not, it is weird up there sometimes, to be honest with you. Sometimes it gets a little crazy, a little over the top, a little... Um, um, a lot of hyperbole. A lot of trumpiness. And I'm sitting there watching. And a car comes through and goes past it. And it comes back through the crowd and pulls in. And the tag was Bolivar County. Some misguided, hurting, deluded, broken child from Bolivar County. Drove hours to come down there on a Saturday. And kill her baby. 
You don't have to go to China or India to fight for the cross. Fight for the cross in Jackson. You don't have to go to China or India to carry your cross daily. You do it right here. Without limitations and without fear. Now the matter which stands for the church and the exalted future which God has prepared for it and each member thereof is the Holy Spirit enabled ability to hear the words of the Bible and the faithful sermon. That's what I'm asking today. Are we really listening? Do not walk. I've said this before. People get confused. I don't care if you liked it. And I equally probably don't care that much if you hated it. I care if you do something with it. Because if you love it and it never changes you and I owe it, it is wasted. But if, you hate, but if you hate it and it makes you think and it robs you of peace, it's worth it. Are we really listening when God speaks? Though essential, this subject is too complicated, is not complicated or mysterious. You know, too often the call, obedience to the will of God for our lives becomes all shrouded in the mystical, mystical and the esoteric. We think it's a matter of raising holy hands. We think it's a matter of, of these, you know, big acts of faith, public things. And because I think that Christians are comfortable leaving this knowledge to those hyper-spiritual people, because it's an excuse. And either we settle with usual lives and normal pursuits. We settle with that instead of the supernatural acts of obedience that Christ calls men and women to every day. Either we think it just doesn't apply to us and God just wants us to earn a living and raise our kids and build a home and retire and then do all those kind of things that retired people do. And that God's okay with that. And that God just simply doesn't care. That God doesn't have a design on every season of my life, which is nonsense. There is no example in the scriptures that works that way. Caleb wanted to conquer the Holy Land at 85. And he said his strength had not diminished at 85. So there is no teaching here that says that at some point you get to kind of relax and do it your way. Whether you are three or three hundred, God owns every day. They are His. I think we, we settle for that. We think we can just, just do the normal because we just don't feel called. So we, therefore we can live our, our lives our own way. Or this constant pursuit through emotional worship, worship which is so necessary, is not an acceptable substitute for daily acts of submission to the Lord. So that then our thing just becomes worship and being, being really spiritual. In both cases, our faith never translates outside this room. Do you understand what I'm saying? Either we just sit there like lumps, or we're in here raising hands, but it never gets outside the door. It never alters our normal, so-called normal life. He said, worship essential to the Christian experience. But your relationship with God doesn't stop at worship. 
Your relationship with God begins at worship. Begins at worship. In our focal passage, the new walk which Christ outlines in this portion of Luke chapter 8 hinges on the ability and the willingness of God's people to hear His Word. That's the phrase He uses in verse 18. The phrase, take care then how you hear. Carefully hear. You are in this room right now to hear. You're in this room right now because you could be sick or you could be somewhere else or you could have, uh, you could have passed away. But you're here today because God wanted you to hear what I have to say. And my share in this is that I've got to be absolutely responsible. And I've got to come in and be bold, but be tender. Not be arrogant, be loving, but be insistent on God's way. You come in and hear, and I do everything I can to preach. Be careful. Take care how you hear. Never hear loosely. Never hear Never hear in a way in which you can stand before God one of these days and be responsible for the fact that you heard. Because you will, as much as I will answer for every word I preach, you're going to answer for every word you hear. There's a great deal of responsibility in this room right now. It's the keystone element, hearing. The primary skill focused upon in this conversation which Christ is having with His people. The outcome is clear. The Lord will heap upon those who carefully and obediently hear the Word of God, blessings and gospel fruitfulness, which are not possible without His direct action. So, for if you're listening, God is willing to, if you'll listen and you'll obey, God will do things you've never dreamed of. But at the same time, if you do not listen, you do not obey, God will take things away. That's exactly what he says. He will keep upon those who carefully and obediently hear, the, obediently hear the word of God, blessings and gospel fruitfulness, which is not possible with the direct action. At the same time, Christ will take away from us what would be ours if we fail to or are unwilling to listen when he speaks. When God is speaking and we are refusing to hear, then what is going to happen? God will act. His words are not idle words. Neither are those of His servants. Hearing God is... Excuse me. Let me go back. When you can hear God, everything changes. When you start to really hear God speak, then everything about you has to change. Suddenly nothing is sacred any longer. Nothing is safe anymore. The reason why we can linger on some terrible things that we know offend God is because we're not hearing when He talks. When you can hear God, everything changes. Hearing God is the Christian faith. It is the faith. And without competently hearing the Word, the notions of what we are to do with our lives are cut off from us. Look, in order to illuminate this for all, we've got to trace back through this incident which motivates Christ to speak directly of the life-altering concept of hearing the words of God. He is talking to guys who've just been listening to Him talk, and He's saying, you better take care when you hear. You better listen when God talks. Because life's in those words. And so's death. Victory. Redemption. And punishment. Verse 16, the chapter... 
Christ, uh, Christ teaches no one after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar, puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Look, in terms of our salvation, we use that symbol as a symbol of what Christ is doing in the lives of the redeemed, the saved. In terms of our salvation, we can say confidently that once the inferno of our passion for the Lord is inflamed, then we must display this fire for all to see. Your job is to burn bright. My job is to burn, not to smolder or to smoke and have no fire, but to, but to burn. As Leonard Ravenhill said, you never have to advertise a fire. Our job is to burn with passion for Jesus. Our responsibility is to the Lord to obey His Word and to the world to display our change so that everyone may see the power of God in us. We live for God to confront the world with the truth. We live for God so that people will say, there must be something in that Gospel they proclaim. We live for God for that. Look, along with this is a joyful deliverance by way of a painful reckoning. Anybody in Christ, if you're not in Christ, anybody in Christ will tell you. The thing that God will do is not just come in and wash away the memory. You will be confronting things you did decades ago. You will find new levels of shame that you never understood before God saved you. I still look back at 13 and 14 and 15 or 20, 21, 22 and think... What in the world? If only I could get back to that young man. If only I could point him to the cross and not to his flesh. God's going to confront some things. There's going to be a painful reckoning. One of my favorite movies, the epic film Lawrence of Arabia. T. Lawrence, you know, played by Peter O'Toole, famously says this is the trick William Potter is not minding that it hurts. We have to be brought to that place Believers, we don't mind that it hurts. We're glad that it hurts. I'm glad when God looks at my life, He says, that is terrible. I'm glad when God looks at my attitude, He says, you are a sinner. I'm glad when I flip a page of the Scriptures and just want to weep over what I read. And we need to all be glad. It's got to hurt. It's got to hurt a little bit. There's no such thing as a painless Christianity. It is painful. It's painful sometimes to be told how wrong we really are and how wrong we were. Christ leaves no fallow ground in our hearts, but attacks and breaks up that which has produced nothing for Him. Christ is always looking for ground to sow His seed in, in our lives. And there's some of that stuff you've been hiding your whole life that God wants that so badly. He wants it so much. Look, by confronting shortcomings, attacking bigotries, challenging personally held convictions, and rewriting definitions, the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to separate men and women from whom we are raised to be so that we can glorious become who we are born again to be. You were born again to be someone for Christ. He wants that now. All this can happen as long as we don't mind a touch of pain. The Lord's calling us to make radical changes in our lives. 
And I don't care how conservative you are. God is lashing at your conservatism. God is lashing right now at your inability to change. God hates the inability to change. God's whole goal is that none of us by nature look like Him. And He wants us to bear His image. To do that, we must turn our backs on virtually everything. He's attacking those things right now. Those convictions and those definitions. The Lord is calling us to make radical changes in our lives. To explore new obedience. To love with His heart. To see with His eyes the world around us. It is a hard thing to be under the spiritual microscope of God. However, the blessed work of the interaction of the truth and the tender soil of the human heart is worth all the discomfort. Christ teaches us in verse 15, is for, for that in the good soil, they are those who hear, who hearing the Word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. The eternal lives of those in the good soil have changed because they heard the Word of the Gospel. Their temporal lives continue to change and reflect the glory of God because they hold the Word tightly. They bear it honestly in good hearts and it patiently, not instantly brings fruit. Once again, hearing the Word and hanging on that Word is absolutely your duty today. And God will not grow you without an infusion of the Word. The Lord's desire is to find your heart so today. To find it malleable and ready to hear. To find your heart eager to obey the words of the Bible. And desperate to bear fruit that demonstrates your new birth for the world to see. God wants to live through you and bear fruit through you. So the world is convicted. You're part of His sermon. You have a stake in His gospel. You're the evidence that the lost world needs. In Luke 5 verse 15. It's recorded, but now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Look, without the hearing of the word, I mean, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. No one is born again. No one is a born again believer in Christ. The product of hearing is faith. And the report of Jesus must be shared to bring men and women to salvation. As it is shared abroad, healing comes through hearing. The infirmities which plague us, the troubles which unite humanity in the wrath of God and not the blessings are destroyed in the precious words of the gospel. Everything that trips you up, everything that holds you back, everything that is an anchor around your neck dragging you to the bottom, all of that is destroyed by the spoken word of Christ. Everything is destroyed by the gospel. And everyone is liberated by the gospel. Everyone. Today, we seek as a church gospel liberation to be free from the bondage, to be free to run our race with integrity, to be free to declare boldly who we are in Jesus and why we are in Jesus. So today, today, right now, as you sit, hear the word. Receive it with joy and experience the lasting impact on your life and on your heart. Are you ready to hear Him for the first time and for the rest of your life? Please surrender your heart today. Hear and follow Jesus.
Let's stand together and pray.